It's February 17th, 1989, and we're watching Bill and Ted's Most Excellent Adventure. Welcome to I Used to Like This One. this one the show where we take a look back at movies we remember fondly from our childhood to see if they still hold up or whether we're just blinded by nostalgia i am your host sean wells and with me is my co-host colin stewart now of course one of the current trends in hollywood is to reboot franchises or to make sequels to movies that we thought were dead so today to celebrate the release of Bill and Ted Face the Music in theaters now, if theaters are still open, I don't even know, pandemic world, who knows, we decided to do a special show and therefore decide we also needed to bring in a special guest. So today we are joined by my flesh and blood, my own son, Chris Wells. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. How about you? Ah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. Bill and Ted's. I love Bill and Ted's. Okay, so this week we're looking back at February 1989 when the movies in theaters were Major League, The Fly 2, Sleepaway Camp 3, The Burbs, When Harry Met Sally, and of course our movie for today, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which made $40.5 million at the box office on a $6.5 million budget. And as always, warning for anybody who hasn't seen this movie, there will be spoilers ahead. I mean, it's been out for... Quite a while. 31. 31 so, years. If you haven't seen it by now and you still don't want it to be spoiled, please stop the podcast, go watch it, and come back and listen to what we have to say. Okay, so the tagline <laughs> that appears on the poster for this movie is, History is about to be rewritten by two guys who can't spell. <laughs> that's it that's it that's the tagline that's, that's pretty fitting yeah <laughs> but that may not be the best description so we go to Colin for our 60 second synopsis yeah 60 second synopsis Bill and Ted are high school buddies starting a band however they are about to fail their history class which means Ted would be sent to military school they receive help from Rufus a traveler from a future where the band is the foundation for a perfect society with the use of Rufus's time machine, Bill and Ted travel to various points in history, returning with important figures to help them complete their final history presentation. That sums it up. Yeah, it's it's a pretty basic plot. But uh, for me, I know watching this movie, it was... Uh... Oh man, I, I I was I was watching it with my girlfriend, and I, I I was starting to piss her off because I was quoting lines that were coming up. <laughs> I knew you, know, you killed Ted, you medieval dickweed, and and I knew all these lines were coming up. So I I just I love this movie. I've I've always loved this movie and Bogus Journey. Like I I've watched them countless times, both of them. But I I just I was surprised at how well. I could remember and quote lines from this movie. Chris, you're our special guest. What kind of experience do you have with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? I'm sure you probably watched it for the first time, possibly because of me. I don't remember whether it was me that showed it to you. I'm sure it was definitely... When I was growing up, I'd always ask you for movie suggestions, and Bill and Ted is probably one of those that popped up during those suggestions. But yeah, no, I, I've watched it probably half a dozen times when I was little, and then 
now again more recently. I watched it twice for this, so <laughs> I, I love that movie. It's great. I love it. It's uh, and uh, I guess I may have shown it to him because I I could justify the fact that it, it's a G rated movie. Like, did you know that it's about G this? Rated? It's, it's, it's G rated movie, even though they use words like dickweed and incredible, and, and they subtitle Napoleon with those shits over and over again. Uh, Colin, what what kind of experience do you have with Bill and Ted? Yeah, unfortunately, I'd never seen this movie before. It's, it's a trend we have on this show. Yeah, which is becoming a <laughs> trend on this show. Uh, but I mean, I, I I liked it a lot. I didn't know what to expect, really. I honestly think when I when you suggested it and I went out to watch it, I thought this movie, in my mind, was Weekend at Bernie's. Okay. And so I thought, again, this always happens. I was expecting a completely different movie than what I got, but I was happy for it. <laughs> okay. So uh, let's jump into Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So it's directed by Stephen Herrick, who I never heard of, but it has some significant directing credits like Critters, Mr. Holland's Opus, 101 Dalmatians, Three Musketeers, The Mighty Docks, Don't Tell Mom, The Babysitter's Dead, Holy Man, Rockstar. Like, he's he's got some beefy credits, but he's not a household name, at least for me. Uh, hopefully around the Herrick household, he's a household name. <laughs> um, we've got, uh, produced by Robert W. Court, uh, who uh, produced the original Jumanji uh, the, the Arrival, Three Men and a Baby, and uh, the one I'm sure he's proudest of, Kazam. Uh, <laughs> you know, gotta get the beatboxing genie movie in there. That's a proud credit. Uh, someone had to have it, I guess. And it's written by Chris Matheson, who wrote movies like Mom and Dad Save the World, Mr. Wrong. He, he was also one of the writers on uh, Bogus Journey, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. And also written by Ed Solomon, who arguably has much better credits with movies like Now You See Me 1 and 2, Charlie's Angels, uh, like the McGee one, not not the shitty new one with Kristen Stewart, uh, Men in Black. He was a writer on Men in Black. So we open, and it's the year 2688, San Dimas, California. We've got a weird golden crystal thing that ends up turning into a phone booth, and we meet Rufus who is played by the legendary George Carlin, who, if you don't know his stand-up comedy, you may have seen him in Car Wash, Outrageous Fortune, The George Carlin Show. He was he was a Kevin Smith regular in Dogma, Jersey Girl, Jay and Silent Bob, Strike Back, and, of course, Thomas and Friends, where he was Mr. Conductor after Ringo Starr, but before Alec Baldwin. Oh. Yeah, George Carlin was Mr. Mr. Conductor. I always got such a kick out of the dynamic of like this filthy comedian that was the host of Thomas the Tank Engine. Hmm. So, so Rufus is dire- talking directly to us. He's breaking the fourth wall, uh, and he's talking to the camera, setting up the movie for the viewers, explaining that 700 years ago, the math works. I did it. 2688 minus 700 is 1988. So he was right there. But the utopian present that he currently lives in almost didn't happen because Bill and Ted were almost separated from each other. And then we go back to 1988 and we meet Bill S. Preston Esquire, played by Alex Winter, who is pretty much only known for Bill and Ted's. Yeah, I can't name another thing he's in. Yeah, he, he's always the other guy <laughs> in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah. Um, he, he has 27 acting roles. He has 37 directing roles. That's oh. actually where he's kind of moved into these days, is he's more of a behind-the-scenes guy. So he is still busy, just 
yeah, don't expect him in front of the camera very often, except him face the music. Uh, and then we also meet Ted Theater Logan, played by Keanu Reeves, who is pretty much opposite in the credit department. Do I even have to mention what his credits are? But in case you've been living under a rock for 30 years, we've got Speed, Point Break, all three and soon four Matrix movies, nice. all three and soon four John Wick movies. <laughs> um, and so Bill and Ted are jamming in the garage before school and trying to film a music video with just the two of them passing the camera back and forth. And they're questioning their future by getting caught in an idiot loop of logic. When <laughs> I love their idiot loop of logic where they decide they need the video to be able to get noticed. And, but they need to, in order to no, get noticed. video to get Van Halen. Yeah, they need to get Eddie Van Halen. Right. And then they need Van, oh, yeah, like, they just, need Van Halen to get, they, have yeah, a triumphant need, band. Exactly. <laughs> have, have the most excellent video. We need Eddie Van Halen, but we can't get him without the video. Yeah. Uh, we, should, we shouldn't proceed with the telling everybody their band name, which is Wild Stallions. Wild Stallions. With, with Ys. With a whole <laughs> bunch of Ys. With all the Ys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Wild Stallions, because, yeah, I'm Bill S. Preston Esquire, I'm Ted Theodore Logan, and we are Wild, wild Stallions. Stallions. That's right. It's really, though, if you read it correctly, it's Wild Stallions, which I find you... <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> Especially for a movie that's so based in like history and all that sort of thing, I, I guess that that is a little bit fitting. So they, yeah, they're they're jamming before school. So yeah, why not? Interesting time to jam. I I didn't recall that happening in the morning when I first watched the movie, but yeah, they're just right before school. Yeah, just before school, and then we. I get the. I, I guess it's like the uh, the figure skaters that or the dancers that get up at five a.m. Yeah, and do four early. hours of training before school, and the, yeah. Um, we follow them into Mr. Ryan's classroom. Mr. Ryan, played by Bernie Casey, who uh, had a quite a career in black exploitation films like Cleopatra Jones and Black Gun, Doctor Black, and Mr. Hyde. I'm gonna get you, sucker. And also, he he was uh, he was in Revenge of the Nerds one, three, and four. I didn't even oh. know there was a fourth Revenge of the Nerds. Um, he was also in Never Say Never Again, James Bond. Is there uh, any explanation why he missed two? Uh, no, I have no idea. I I, I didn't care enough. <laughs> um, and we find out that Ted knows that Napoleon is a short dead dude. I I love I love them talking to Mister Ryan in the classroom when when they're held back for a second at the end of class because you can tell that this is this is Bill's usual suspects moment where he's just reading everything off of the off the chalkboard he's talking about no we we know about what what was so it crates? no 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 he doesn't even say oh, so crazy socratic method so, socratic method yeah we we know all about napoleon and socratic method and <laughs> he's listing all the people that he knows and he's just like reading it right off the board i do love that moment um, i don't know why but for some reason i like when he asks Ted, who Joan of Arc is, and Ted says Noah's wife. Noah's oh, wife. I was like, no, that was a good one. That's I was like, fun. he knows something. He's not a complete idiot. <laughs> He's just wrong. He just goes back a little bit further <laughs> yeah. in history to to refer to a different famous Arc family. Yeah, and so of course they receive this uh, convenient oral uh, assignment 
uh, about historical figures and how they would react to the world of today. Foreshadowing much? I'm I'm not sure about that. And they're picked up. They're, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> the biggest aspect of foreshadowing are if you look if you look at all the historical figures on the uh, on the, the walls of the oh, classroom, yeah. it ends up being all the people that they. Yeah, spoiler. They, end up finding. Yeah, the, the co- co- copyright laws prohibited them from putting up pictures of people that weren't going to appear in the movie. I guess. Okay. Uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> um, so they're they're picked up by Missy. I mean, Mom uh, picks them up from school. Played by uh, Missy is played by Amy Stotch, uh, who was in Summer School, twenty one episodes of Days of Our Lives. She's got kind of a meh IMDb. I I love the reoccurring jokes with Missy. <laughs> about remember that time you asked her to prom and yeah. and all that stuff that they keep just drilling it in that missy is really really that much longer yeah from like, what i younger, looked I mean, into she she was a senior when he was a freshman yeah. yeah so he was in like what grade nine when she was in grade 12 uh yeah fresh freshman in yeah in the states that's grade nine so hmm, interesting yeah, and even the fact that he always like Bill always has to cons- correct himself. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, Miss- hey, Missy, I mean, mom. Like- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Ted needs to grab something from home, and we get a glimpse of his home life. We get to meet Captain Logan, played by Hal Landon Jr. Yeah, total opposite home life. Yeah, he's fifty six credits to his name. He was in Eraserhead, played by he. He played Napoleon in the movie The Artist. Which is, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Very, like Chris said, very different home life. Uh, he is, you know, a captain in the police force and, but he's busy looking for his keys. Dun, dun, dun. Foreshadowing. <laughs> Foreshadowing again. again. Um, and telling him that if he fails his assignment, he's going to send him to Oates Military School in, in Alaska. And, Hal Landon Jr., I, I am I am pleased to see that he is appearing in the forthcoming Bell and Ted Face the Movie. He is reprising his low... Face the movie? Uh, face the movie. Face the music. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for pointing out my stupidity. But I, I appreciate the fact that he's coming back. Uh, Missy is coming back as well. The guy that plays Bill's dad, though, is not coming back. Is he alive? He is alive. Yeah, he is alive. I don't want to spoil Bogus Journey for you. If, oh, okay. if, if you uh, uh, watch Bogus okay. Journey, it might make a bit more sense. So we, we get a cut of the future with all the future people saying to Rufus that it's time. And Rufus gets in his phone booth. And they've got their future version of May the Force Be With You by Be Excellent to Each Other. Party on, dude. We hear this phrase at least three times in the movie. It may, may be more. I know three for sure. Wonderful phrase. Yeah. I was wondering with the phone booth, like, had, they, had no one watched Doctor Who? You know, it's just an American TARDIS. Yeah. Could they not have, <laughs> could they not have maybe selected a different... I know I know they thought about using a van, but they thought it was going to be too close to Back to the Future at the time. True. Yeah. They, 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 they want something nondescript. <clears throat> yeah. So it's like, what can you have that's nondescript? And, I mean, the fact that you get to have all these visual gags later on of the packed phone booth. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah. you, you have to have something small. I mean, the TARDIS, it's enormous inside. Yeah, it's got like a magic thing about yeah. it or whatever. Yeah, so, you know, you're not going to see people riding... 
crammed into that one. There, yeah, that, I, that I especially spaces. love it when it flips onto its side and it's all of them in there. Yeah, the, <laughs> right. In the time <laughs> sphere or whatever. <laughs> so we're, we're hanging out in Bill's room, uh, getting burnt grilled cheese from Missy, I mean Mom, <laughs> and Mr. Preston. We were introduced to Mr. Preston, who is played by J. Patrick McNamara. He was in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, 1941, a whole bunch of TV. Uh, he comes home, <laughs> kicks them out of Bill's room. Yeah. So so that so that he and Missy can smush. Like it's <laughs> incredible father. Yeah. And and again, you know, this is this is one of those places where I think, okay, this is a G movie, G rated movie. I guess yeah. the fact that, you know, Ted is sitting there, he's about to plow your mom in your own room. I guess it could be over the head of most kids that would be watching this movie, but it is a little borderline for me. Just a bit. And so Bill and Ted decide to go to the the Circle K to ask random people walking up to the Circle K to get answers to their homework. And with the mention of the Circle K, it's time for a segment we like to call Sponsorship Corner. Now, as always, one of my favorite things to watch for in these older movies is the obvious product placements. And holy shit, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, You Are My Hero... Uh, you did not disappoint in the least. This is a big one. Buckle up. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is brought to you by Fender Guitars, Ford, Scope, USA Today, Goodyear, Hostess Twinkie, Dulcis Shoes, Vision Skateboards, Foot Locker, Speedo, The Houston Astros, Nautilus Fitness, Burlington Socks, Solo Cups, and of course, Circle K, because Bill, strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Strange things afoot. (laughs) This has been a very long and very satisfying sponsorship corner. Wow, that's... This is this is the longest list I've ever had. I thought I thought the Goonies was a big one. I but this one, wow. So they're they're at the Circle K. Bill and Ted are ready to try the Thrifty Mart for answers instead. But but in, uh, Rufus lands in front of them, and he's in the phone booth, which I noticed. I took note that that the phone booths cost twenty cents in nineteen eighty nine. And how much does a phone booth cost nowadays? Oh, who knows? Like, exactly. <laughs> last I checked, it was thirty-five cents. Oh, thirty-five. Still, was, still pretty low. Yeah, that was like ten years ago. So good, good, good luck finding one. <laughs> Inflation though. hasn't hit the phone booths just yet. Yeah, <laughs> but but even like twenty cents then, and I I, re- I always remember them as being twenty-five cents growing up. So, but yeah, uh, Canadian change for you. Yeah. I guess so. That's the, the exchange rate. Right? Their famous twenty dollar <laughs> cent coin. So, so we've we've got we've got Bill trying to convince them that every or uh, sorry Rufus trying to convince Bill and Ted that everything is okay and trying to tell them what his mission is. And other Bill and Ted show up, and so of course we have some of the the famous lines. Of course, here where. 
they're trying to figure out whether they're really them and would we lie to each other. And okay, if you're really us, well, what number are we thinking of? 69, dude. Classic. That's right, classic. And of course, the classic Ted, don't forget to wind your watch, give our loves to the princesses, all that sort of thing. So they they now believe that, okay, Rufus is the real deal. They get into the into the time machine. Rufus gives us the line, gentlemen, we're history, and the circuits of time take them away. The circuits of time are a little cheesy now, but still not too bad for 1989. Very effect. early CGI from yeah. what I'm aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like one of the first movies, I'm pretty sure. <clears throat> not one of the first, but like definitely one of those early movies that were using CGI at the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 not too bad. And so now part of the reason why my son is on the show today is because his university career has taken him into history. So this is where we're we're probably going to get uh some some insight into how accurate the history of Bill and Ted's is. We first land in Rufus is showing them around Austria. 1805, where we meet Napoleon. Napoleon is played by Terry Camilleri. He was in Superman 3. He was in Gigli. He, he was in, uh, The Truman Show. And I remember his scene in The Truman Show. He was the guy in the tub. Uh, if you've seen The Truman Show, you know, when, when, uh, when Truman decides to walk out the door, he's the guy in the tub that's just cheering about, about the fact that he's getting out. Yeah. And so this, this is where we meet Napoleon. So, uh, Austria, 1805. Did Napoleon uh, invade Austria in 1805? 100%. I forget 100%. the exact war that he's fighting, but he was in Austria at 18, so in, this, during 1805. This is not Waterloo. With all with no. all the references to Waterloo, this is not Waterloo. He's on his way to Waterloo as far as I'm aware. This is during his 100-day empire or whatever. After he was first banished from France, he, he came back and raised an army and took on the, the French, the British, and the Austrians, I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. There we go. Well, not the French, sorry. The British, the Austrians, and... I don't remember. There's a third one. So so Napoleon decides he's going to uh, wage war on the phone booth that he see when he sees it and uh, ends up getting like blown into the hole and sucked back to 1988 with them when they leave. One thing I didn't understand, I don't remember specifically what kind of ex- what it is that ex- sets the explosion off behind Napoleon. What I do remember is that sparks fly in that explosion. Yeah. And I don't. Like, what would have been launched at that point that would lead to sparks flying? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I. Uh, that, that's a, that is a good question, though. It, it, but it's flashier. You know, yes. you got to have a flashier. So, yeah, Rufus warns them back in 1988 that the clock is always ticking. This is one part of the time travel that I don't quite understand why there is a constant clock of back home. Exactly. I, I was wondering that at the beginning of the movies, there's a deadline that they have to meet, even though they can play with time however they want, apparently. Yeah, uh, which ends up melting your brain at one point in this movie, the amount of time travel that they're going to be doing at one point. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Rufus leaves, uh, and Napoleon falls out of the tree, and so they decide to ask Ted's little brother, Deacon, played by Frazier Bain, who has four credits to his name, he, uh, they decide to get him to babysit Napoleon while they go and start surfing through time. But on the way out of the house, Ted is stopped by his dad. 
already having signed him up for military school, and Ted is not supposed to leave the house, but he's saved by Deputy Van Halen, <laughs> because, because Bill has realized that Ted is trapped, and he phones and calls as Deputy Van Halen, saying that he has found Captain Logan's keys, and we get another... We get we get it driven home a little bit more that hey by the way don't forget that Ted's dad is missing the keys. Captain Logan takes off. Bill and Ted go out. They get into the phone booth. Let's reach out and touch someone. Uh, they say and first stop is New Mexico, eighteen seventy nine, where the uh, phone booth lands next to an outhouse, and we get some good old fart jokes. 1879, do you know Billy the Kid? Mexico, 1879, does that sound ac- accurate, or is this one not, that you don't not, know? Not, a, not very into the American frontier, unfortunately, but as far as I'm aware, he was a cowboy, so they Every, everything I nail him the head. <laughs> everything I learned from, about Billy the Kid, I learned from the movie Young Guns. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know how accurate that one is. But yeah, we meet Billy the Kid, who was played by Dan Shore. Uh, Dan Shore was in Tron, Air Force One, Star Trek The Next Generation. Doing research, I find a lot of Star Trek The Next Generation with every movie that we do. There, That that seems to be one of those ones that everyone has to take in a, a crack at Star Trek at one point. Most recently, uh, Dan Shore appeared in Jessica Jones, actually. I have no idea who he was. I didn't even watch the most recent season of Jessica Jones because, of course, the show on Netflix that survives is the one I liked the least. <laughs> I, I liked I liked all the other ones, Luke Cage and and uh, and uh, Daredevil and Punisher. Those were the ones that I loved, and Jessica Jones was the one that got an extra season. So, whatever. So they 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 see Billy the Kid, and we get the line: "He's famous, dude. Let's bag him." So <laughs> they end up in a poker game that leads into a classic, classic Old West bar fight. Oh, one thing I did <clears throat> learn in a quick Google is he's wearing a cheater's pinky ring during that uh, that bar fight. And that's okay. how they catch him for cheating. And so apparently Billy the Kid also wore a cheater's pinky ring. What is a cheater's pinky ring? Uh, some sort of ring you wear on your pinky, I guess. But, if but, you're a cheater, is it, is it like you're so you're forced to wear it? So I didn't everybody, look that much everybody at the it. table knows like you're I a cheater. It's like it's like the scarlet letter <laughs> yeah. of the old west, or or is it something where it like has has something where you like a, a pin on the bottom side where you can poke a hole in the card so that you can tell which ones uh, are the good yeah. cards. Maybe I feel like it has to have like a versatile use. So okay, so there's no way you'd out yourself as a cheater with a ring. Yeah, but... it's it's either a symbol of cheating or uh it's a way to cheat. Okay. <laughs> um they yeah, they they have this bar fight and they manage to escape and all three of them escape into the phone booth, and they end up in Athens, Greece, 410 BC, uh, where we're going to meet Socrates. But when they're looking up who might live here, uh, we have Bill saying, oh, it's under Socrates. So, <laughs> one of those lines, they're still sticking to the Socrates. I love that. I love I love that it's, oh, it's under so- Socrates. You know, this is where so- Socratic method is from, but it's under Socrates. And they also know that it's pronounced Socrates. They say it at one point. Oh, too, at, the, at the end, yeah. Not at the, even at the end. I'm pretty sure at the beginning, too, they say Socrates at one point, but they, they just stick to Socrates because it's easier. Okay. And it sounds more valley. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Socrates is played by Tony St- uh, Steedman. 
He's got 135 credits dating back to 1956. I didn't even pick any. Um, and so we're, we're sent... Bill, uh, Ted is sent up to philosophize with him, uh, and he ends up quoting lyrics to Dust, uh, <laughs> Dust in the Wind. And, uh, but, but, oh, who is it that sings that song? Is that, is that Poison? No, I, I was thinking it's like Poison or, uh, no, oh, Dust in Kansas. No? Dust in the Wind. It, it's one of those 80s. Yeah, Kansas. Yeah, Kansas. Yeah. So yeah, so that's what he quotes to Socrates and Socrates loves him and now we've got a new travel partner. Uh then we end up in just generic 15th century England. Everywhere else they've managed to land somewhere where there is something perfectly happening that they need, but this is just random 15th century England. And this is one of those points where I I had to write down a line because I love it so much. See, you you take a look at Bill and Ted have always been the founding fathers of these kind of stoner characters, you know. Like, people always say that Jay and Silent Bob are ripping them off. But I'm impressed, as I've watched at this time, just how intelligent they actually are. Like, like, okay, stick with me here. The, The way that they speak... They actually use some very intelligent words and use them correctly. Oedipal. And, yeah, and I'm going to get to that because that is my favorite line. But right here, um, Ted says to Billy the Kid, Billy, you're dealing with the oddity of time travel with the greatest of ease. Like, it's just, I love how they talk because they're they're not the guys from Dude, Where's My Car? Like, yeah. they, they actually, they speak in an intelligent way. And this is the only one that I wrote down. But, you know, like, all their most, most, most non-heinous. Like, for every one of those that they throw in, they've actually got some very cleverly written dialogue. And I appreciate <laughs> that. But, yeah, Billy is dealing with the oddity of time travel with the greatest of ease. And they decide to leave him to baby. They're, they're always delegating tasks. He's they're, the one who picks it up, like, immediately. Like, the second they step out of the booth after picking up Socrates, he's just like, you sit here, Socrates, and you stay with me. Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> like, yeah, he's, he, he gets it. And, uh, and their Socrates is, is being babysat. So they're always delegating babysitting duties on these historic figures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Deacon is back watching Napoleon. Billy the Kid is, <laughs> is, is watching Socrates. But so, uh, Bill and Ted go to explore and they find the historical babes. Now, these characters bug me because they, like all 80s movies, they don't have any decent female characters. Like, Missy is almost one of the best or strongest female characters in the movie. Like these, these two characters are just such a waste of characters as far as I'm concerned. Because like they are so underappreciated that these characters were recast for Bill and Ted's bogus journey. And then they were, were they? yep. Oh. And then they were recast again. For face Bill and Ted's music. face the music. And and it's just like, okay, that's how little respect you have for these characters. <laughs> that when we get to the end, we s- supposedly find out that they are even bandmates. Yeah. Um, you know, so we, we've got Prince... And, and, and here's another example of how underappreciated these characters are. Is when I was looking them up on IMDb, IMDb has listed them both as Princess Elizabeth. <laughs> like they've 
they've given them both the same name. So the the one that is actually Princess Elizabeth, she is played by Kimberly Cates, and Princess Joanna is played by Diane Franklin. Princess Elizabeth, so the real Princess Elizabeth, that's Kimberly Cates, and she is the subject of this week's Bit Player Spotlight. Born August 15th, 1969. 69, dudes, yeah. Kimberly Cates was born in California but grew up in Montana. Her biological father was killed by a drunk driver when she was a child. Kimberly was pre-med in college before winning a modeling contest, which brought her back to Southern California. Uh, she has ten halves and step-brothers and sisters. Interestingly, for this subject for from a time travel movie, on her biological father's side of the family, she has ancestor connections to Thomas Jefferson, Robert E. Lee, Lee Marvin. So it's just kind of... I, I, I enjoyed the parallels with the time travel movie. Founding father and Confederate general. Yep. Nice. Interesting. Yep. Uh, she has appeared in numerous films and television series, including one of the first Seinfeld episodes, Larry Sanders Show, Charmed, Growing Pains, and Murder, She Wrote. Her first film was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, in which she played Princess Elizabeth, which is also, sadly, her best-known role. Yeah. Uh, uh, she studied acting at the Beverly Hills Playhouse for 10 years with Milton Ketzelis. Uh, she has appeared in over 40 television shows and movies prior to becoming a full-time film producer. Oh. She is a founder and CEO of a publicly traded production and global distribution company called Big Screen Entertainment Group, which she also, uh, where she has also produced feature films for the company. I looked at some of these movies. I have no idea what they are. Uh, some of them, some of the credits include Dirty Love, which is a Jenny McCarthy movie. I was going to ask if it was a porno nope. movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, not porno. Uh, a movie called Mosquito Man. Uh, a movie called Babysitter Wanted. That one's a porno movie. No, there are, oh, none of oh, them are pornos. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um... <laughs> this one might be the porno, though. Okay. Uh, William Shatner's Gonzo Ballet. That one has to be. It, it, it's apparently, uh, it follows a, a dance company that is actually putting on a ballet to William Shatner's music. It, I, 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 I want to I find this movie. I am going to end up looking up this movie. There's a movie called Airstrike, which actually stars Bruce Willis, Adrian Brody, and a whole bunch of Chinese people. Oh. So it, it takes it takes place in like, or maybe like oh, maybe Japanese play, people. It, it's a war movie, and I think it takes place in some Asian country. And so we've got the two white people in the movie with the rest of these Asian characters. Okay. Um, and, and she's also producing an upcoming Snow White project. Hopefully, it's better than the Kristen Stewart one. Wow, I'm just dunking on Kristen Stewart today. Yeah, that's uh, two now. Jeez. <laughs> um, she's yeah. unmarried with no kids and currently lives in California with a large menagerie of animals. And that is Bit Player Spotlight. So she's a, a cat lady. lady. <laughs> she, she's, she's a cat lady. Basically. <laughs> so they're, they're in 15th century England. They hide in suits of armor and play Star Wars for a little bit. 
Uh, and Ted falls down the stairs. Bill sees him getting shanked with a sword and thinks that uh, Ted is dead. And we get the line, you killed Ted, you medieval dickweed, for this G-rated movie. <laughs> um, but we find out that Ted managed to fall out of his suit on the way down. How? Yeah, one thing, <laughs> I, it, it took multiple people upwards of an hour to get a knight into his suit of armor. Like, it, it wasn't... Common sense, that doesn't, exactly, it doesn't look easy to get into. It's definitely not easy to get out of. And, and when, when you see them in these suits of armor, like, you can see their clothes hanging out of the back. So, yeah. so it's like, how, how do you not realize that that's an, there's, there's no way. Mm-hmm. But, whatever, it's a comedy movie, right? So we have to kinda, we have to kinda suspend our disbelief for a minute. So, they're excited that Ted's still alive, they hug, and then we get, fag, Classic. Classic, yeah. So this is problematic, <laughs> I think. Um, I know this is something that they do in the next movie as well. Yeah. Um, it, it definitely was shocking to, like, I was watching this movie while I was while I was taking care of my new baby and cleaning and stuff. And both me and my wife, we heard we heard them say fag. And then we were both just like, what? Like, <laughs> and you dropped the baby. Whoa. We both just looked at each other and were like, you can't say that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, see, one thing I am curious about Face the Music, and so I am excited to watch it, is I wonder if they address that kind of thing. There's, there's, There has to be a way they address it. Like, they, they hug each other, and one of them is about to say it, and, you know, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, like... No, 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 yeah, you can't say that anymore. You can't say that anymore, yeah, bro. Or, yeah, I, Come on, that's most, most heinous. Yes, yeah. like, they, they, they must have, they, they must do some sort of callback where they acknowledge the mistakes that they've made in this. And really, like, you know, I, I'm usually, I usually dunk on some of these older movies for their lack of representation. Okay, they could have used some more women in this movie. They, they could have used some more persons of color in this movie. But this is one where it's just like, this is something that you, I think you have to address is, this is, this is really the thing that is the most blatantly problematic, problematic in the, in the movie. It, yeah. I, I just. I feel like they won't address it. They, they probably <laughs> yeah, won't. Yeah, they might like just scoop it under the rug. I feel like they're just going to be new people. But they're going to be like, they, they're going to be like 30 years older. Yeah. I just, I, I think, like, yeah, I mean, Ke- Keanu Reeves has this reputation of being, like, the nicest guy in Hollywood. Yeah. You know, uh, like, second only to Tom Hanks kind of niceness. Yeah. And you kind of wonder whether he would step up and say that, uh, I feel like they would, I feel like they would say that things are wrong, but it's, it's like, with everything, when you watch these old movies, it's like, it was okay then. Like, yeah. I know for a fact, like, I don't know. I don't want to get canceled. I know for a fact <laughs> when I was younger, I probably like said those same things. I, and, like, yeah. So it's just one of those. It's one of those things where it's hard. It's to me, it's more interesting than anything to go look back and be like, oh, the, like, this time capsule. How, how, yeah, how the world has changed, and because nobody flinches in that movie at that time. No. But it's like nowadays we go, oh, oh that was gross. Yeah. But even ten years ago, if you heard that on a show or something like that, you'd be like, oh, I, like, I think ten years ago, Fag would have still been. I think I think fag was was not okay ten years ago, but, but okay. retard was still part of our vernacular. Back <laughs> I would be, then. Willing, to, I would be willing to bet like almost any sum of money that when that movie came out in the theaters and that line hit, the entire theater laughed. Oh, oh, oh absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, you know, and Bogus Journey, which comes out in ninety one, 
They yeah, do the they, exact they same They do thing. the exact same joke. It must have hit home. It, yeah, exactly. It must, it must, it must yeah. have been a hit. So uh, we, we get another... This is where I start quoting lines ahead of time. We get the royal ugly dude saying, Take them to the Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden, excellent! <laughs> I just want to... Execute them. I wanna, bogus. I want to preface my my being here with saying that I hate being a party pooper and talking about history in a stoner comedy. But the Iron Maiden wasn't real. As far as we know, it was made as propaganda to show people in the Victorian era that, oh, look how bad it was in the medieval era. They killed people with this spiky thing. <laughs> but nobody, as far as we know, nobody was ever killed by an Iron Maiden. Well, they just wanted to reference the band. They, 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 yeah, they just had the foresight that, you know, when, when the people first invented the Iron Maiden then, like yeah. however long ago it was that they... They made the the history of the Iron Maiden. They they had the foresight to know that, like in a hundred or two hundred years, that they would want to reference a band name in a oh, in a movie. <laughs> Definitely. <Yeah. laughs> um, and, and so they're yeah they're 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 instead taken to be beheaded when when they chop the ropes like they they tie their heads down and and they end up chopping the ropes. Ted's huh. It, it's so genuine. I love it. Like the fact that he's just like, wait a minute. Like, why do I still have my head on? Like his, huh? It's one of the most genuine reactions I've seen in a movie in a long time. I, I love it. But yeah, it's, they, they get rescued by, by Socrates and Billy the Kid because, uh, they, they've been posing as the executioners. They get rescued. Yeah, whenever that happens. Whenever that happens. Yeah. <laughs> they just, Wait a minute, they've been gone for an awfully long time now. You know, <laughs> maybe we should go make sure they're okay. Um, Socrates, smart dead dude. Smart dead dude, that's right, he was. Uh, and then, uh, they, they get back, uh, they, they end up in the future future, like where, where Rufus is from. Uh, we get a little taste in here of Napoleon eating at the Ziggy Pig. Uh, this is where two of the waiters in there, they, they are the writers. Of the movie, Ed Solomon and whatever the other guy's name was. Uh, so the, the, eat the pig, eat the pig, ziggy, 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 zig. Yeah, two of those guys are the writers of the movie. Uh, and so we get to see gluttonous, uh, Napoleon get his new ziggy piggy badge because he eats the pig. But yeah, in the, in the future, we, uh, the future scene is just a weird one to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't even understand the future. Uh, I think I appreciate the fact that with the the futuristic f- scenes in this movie, at least they they haven't tried to invent technology that would be outdated by now. Like <laughs> I kind of I kind of wish in Rufus's opening monologue that they would have done more to show like the history towards the future of Bill yeah. and Ted, like what happened and why they're so revered and like. What great conflict came about that their music brought the world together. Yeah, while we're in the future, I just want to say there's some sort of authoritarian government that rules the future uh, with George Carlin and those three guys that are sitting on the thrones well, that they first Are they meet. even thrones? They seem to be like floating because they, they're yeah, bobbing up like and down. That. They're on some sort of like floating. But it, it's those four dudes who are just like, we really like these guys' music. We're going to invent time travel and go back and make sure these guys stay together because for all intents and purposes, <laughs> without that time machine, Ted goes to military school. Yeah. 
Like, they're they're creating this no, be, future. Because the clock is always running. What no, don't you understand? No, actually, no, you're right. Because, <laughs> because they made the... They, they're... Yeah. My brain is... Not, it See? doesn't make any sense because they're, they're operating in a future where they never split up. Exactly. But then something randomly is happening in the past without them knowing that it's going to cause because the future the, to be in jeopardy. Because the so clock the is thing, always running. The only thing that could have happened is they created their own future. Like in, but then their future would have never existed exactly. because how did they go it makes back? No sense. It in most bogus journey, they do the Terminator thing where they get an evil guy to go back and put an end to them to stop them before they ever make that song or whatever. That's much more... Like, that makes yeah, this, sense this as a plot. One. This one, it's just... It's George Carlin going... I like these dudes' music. Let's make sure they stick together. So maybe, maybe in Face the Music, they should have a bit where they actually go back and and show you why well, this actually, all yeah. what, what, They, they retcon. What would have made more sense for, for the excellent adventure timeline is... Rufus and those three dudes live in a live in a world where the world is garbage. Yeah, and then they're like, "Oh well, it all came about because we we traced it back, and it all exactly. happened because this kid all went to military years, school. So now here. we're gonna go back. So so I keep the, the, re- the reason we're not seeing the future, like we're just seeing this one blue room, is yeah, because exactly. there's like wars and Armageddon raging outside it's the door. It's because it's a three D set. If you step outside that door, there's just a bunch of wooden scaffolding and stuff. Like <laughs> well. they're all actors. <laughs> <laughs> but all those people that step in to go rip on the guitar, all actors, all paid. This is the problem with time travel movies. Like, you need to lock it up. <laughs> yeah, you need to decide which version of time travel is the real one. Um, so, yeah, they're in the future. They, once again, be excellent to each other and party on dudes. Party on dudes. Um, uh, and so they get back into their phone booth. And uh, the phone booth squad, we now we now get rapid fire pitch up, pickups for for extra credit on their report. So we've got 1901 Vienna, Austria for Sigmund Freud, uh, played by Rod Loomis. Uh, his profile pitch picture on imdb is from this movie it's the sigmund freud so, picture uh, yeah it's him, <laughs> okay. him as sigmund freud so it's uh that that shows how famous of an actor he is he was Fair on enough. star trek next generation at one point as well and the movie Beastmaster. uh anything to say about freud nothing to say about okay a little bit of a creep just in general <laughs> uh we go to 1810 castle germany for beethoven Beef oven. Beef oven. oven. Beef oven. <laughs> uh, let's. Uh, I, I. I do like the the fact that when when the the time machine lands, he's playing for Elise on the piano, and it doesn't phase him because mm-hmm. be, uh, beef oven. <laughs> Beethoven is actually deaf. Famously uh, deaf. Famously deaf. But remember that. Exactly. Remember that's, that's, that he doesn't react in this scene. Big note that says famously deaf on my yeah. page. Um, uh, he, he, he's played by Clifford David, who was in the movie Signs. Uh, Kinsey, uh, he, he's a working actor. We then go to 1429. Before or, we oh, leave. Okay, sorry, Beethoven. we're still in ja- Germany. Okay. 1810, first of all, the castle that he was invited to, he famously refused to go because. By 1810, he was so deaf that most people had to shout in his ear for them to be heard. 
Um, also, Furlease didn't come out till 40 years after he died. Ah! Oh! See, we got the history buff on the show. This is awesome. Okay. So, we then travel to 1429, Orlane, France, for Joan of Arc, played by Jane Weedlin. Uh, I remember her most from Clue. She was the singing telegram in Clue. Oh. Um, yeah. Uh, Interesting. Okay. A singing telegram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boom! Uh, she was in Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Does a lot of voiceover work. Uh, anything about Joan of Arc? Uh, Joan of Arc, uh, at the end, they talk about how she was like a warrior, blah, blah, blah. Joan of Arc did wield a sword on multiple occasions, but for all intents and purposes, she was more of an advisor and said that she liberated France by the time she was 17. Uh, sadly, died with most of France still under English control. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we travel to 1209 Outer Mongolia for Genghis Khan. I know that you mentioned something about this one. Uh, Genghis Khan, played by Al Leon, uh, or Leong? Long? It might just be Long? I don't know. L-E-O-N-G. I, my apologies. Uh, I remember him in Die Hard. He's the guy that takes the candy bar out of the, out of the snack stand while he's waiting for the cops to break in. Uh, he was in Lethal Weapon 24, Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, Jeez. I know him from a lot of things. I, I know, yeah, discussions we had before we recorded. I, I know you had a big problem with the portrayal of Genghis Khan. Well, he's just, he's very slapstick comedy and funny. When they first introduce him, Definitely, probably what Genghis Khan was like. Women around him just chowing on meat or whatever. And taking the women whenever exactly. he wanted. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's famously known for raping most of Asia. Like, uh, I forget the actual statistic, but there's something like uh, like 15% of people from Asia are related to Genghis Khan in some oh, way. okay. Wow. Yeah, no, he has an incredible lineage uh, just because he, he banged everything that moved. But... He turns into a very slapstick comedian by the end of it where he's in football pads and he's swinging hockey sticks and stuff like that. Very funny. But this dude killed more people single-handedly than Hitler. So big, big murderer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then we leave Outer Mongolia. We go to 1863, the White House, uh, and we get Abraham Lincoln, another person whose uh, profile pick is from this movie. It's uh, played by Robert V. Barron. Or maybe Baron. Well, there's two R's. Probably Baron. Robert V. Baron. Uh, he does a lot of voiceover work. And Colin might appreciate this one because I know he likes animation. He does voices on Robotech and Captain Marlock and the Queen of a Thousand Years. I, I, I've never, never heard of that heard one. Either. At least Robotech, <laughs> I, Robotech I've heard of. Uh, and he also did a lot of voiceover work on Power Rangers as well. Oh, sweet. Um, yeah. Classic. Um, so the antenna on the phone booth is broken, and like Chris mentioned earlier, this is where they are riding sideways in the phone booth now, um, and so they stop in caveman times to fix it. Ted has a backpack full of pudding tins. How how much pudding is this kid ter- carrying around on a daily basis? Metal pudding tins, too. Oh, I, well, see, that's the thing, though, is well, I know. you were born in 99, so th- this, is, this is how... This is how us old people used to have to get our pudding. Is we used to have to pull a tab. Mm. Yeah. We have to pull a tab and... I and just thought just poke holes on the top and squeeze it and lick. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, so, but how, yeah, why is this guy carrying around... Did he have the foresight to load his backpack with pudding because he... 
He knew that they were going well, to need Well, it was Ted, more right? Food. It was Ted that had I'm it. I'm sure military father, he had him in the Eagle Scouts or something. Uh, Be prepared. Always prepared. Okay, so yeah, he has Definitely a, don't explain it, but... He, he has all the... It's all up there. He has all the, <laughs> the pudding tins, and, and they, uh, they're all chewing gum and make a giant gumball to use as adhesive for these pudding tins and they fix the antenna they land in yesterday and we redo the circle k scene should i redo sponsorship corner at this time (laughs) with the line that that conversation made more sense this time and rufus tells them they gotta dial one number higher because they only have two hours remaining before the presentation, because even though Ted reminded himself to wind his watch, he didn't wind his watch. Meanwhile, Deacon has taken Napoleon Bowling, where he cheats. I love Napoleon the Cheater. Oh my god, writing down the score of Bowling. <laughs> Just like, putting a one in front of it, like <laughs> nobody's gonna notice. Yeah, and, and then he, he goes and bowls his turn, he ends up falling on the ground, and banging against merd, 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 Mad, which, which actually means mean shit in French. Which actually means shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and G-rated movie. A G-rated movie. Kids don't speak French. No. Not even French Ki- kids. Kids can't read. <laughs> right? I, I've got a I've got a seven-year-old that has come such a far away this last year with reading abilities that <laughs> that I'm not going to show him a movie with that many subtitles of the word shit. Uh, <laughs> Even if it's G-rated, like the, the general audiences, the the yeah the the ratings board definitely had different different it's criteria the 80s, back baby. then. Yeah, uh, we we encountered the same thing with Goonies, where Goonies is a PG-rated movie. But for anyway, so yeah, uh, Deacon decides let's ditch this guy, uh, and Napoleon can't pay and gets thrown out by the owner of the whatever of the oh, owner of the bowling alley. Which brings us to our next segment, which is, I wonder what happened to that guy. (laughs) And today's issue of I wonder what happened to that guy, we have Richard Alexander, who goes by, also goes by Dick Alexander. He played the bowling manager. Um, He has a total of six credits to his name, and, but hasn't worked since 1990. So when we try to Google him, all I get is an author and a zoologist, neither of which are him. So <laughs> we're kind of just sitting here wondering, you know, where is that guy? So what this, did happen so, to that so, guy? Yeah, this is a legitimate question. What happened to that guy? If you know, tweet us. Yeah. Is, <laughs> we want to, we're worried about his well-being. We want to make sure he's okay. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. So a very a very literal definition of what where what happened to that guy what happened to dick alexander someone let us know we just want a wellness check a wellness yeah. check that's it that's it we yeah but don't film it <laughs> <laughs> so so okay so yeah napoleon gets uh napoleon gets kicked out of the bowling alley so now now we're back to bill and ted bill, bill and ted land back in the present uh they land on missy's garden hose Sorry, I mean mom. Uh, 
Bill and, Bill and Ted introduce everyone by the wrong name. I, I, I love that. I, I don't know whether this Not is something even where... the wrong name, though. Doesn't he just, like, give them, like, a... This is this is Jimmy Socrates and... Yeah, Jimmy Socrates. David Socrates. David Beethoven. So I don't... Yeah, I don't know whether they legitimately don't know their names or whether they're trying to cover for the weirdness of the situation with they're Missy. They're covering. Yeah. The last names are their real names. But not all of them are. Oh, okay. Or I, I don't think so. I... Maybe, maybe I'm... You think they're just grabbing it. some people yeah. just out of time? They're just like, you look you look like you're doing something important. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they land back in the present. Missy says, okay, there's sodas in the fridge, but you have to do your chores. Even though, technically, shouldn't they be in school right now? Like, they're, they're the last yeah, presentation like of the day. Yeah, it's or tomorrow. Or, it's, it's, or it's, well, no, yeah. no it's, it's today now. Okay. The, the teacher on his list has it that they're the last presentation of the day at 2.45 oh, p.m. Okay. So we can assume that right now it is noon 45. So shouldn't they be at school? Why is Missy assigning them chores in the middle of the school day? Shouldn't it be like once you get home from school, do your chores? Like, are are they? Maybe she thinks they're getting home from school. Maybe that explains. She, she's the just weirdness. been laying in the sun all day. It's an interesting find. Maybe she's just definitely so used to them being slackers that she just. Oh yeah, you guys are home and <laughs> bringing your friends it. by to party because Bill's house is obviously the cool house. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they're they're uh, they have to do their chores, and so we cue the William Tell overture while the historic figures clean the house. And all learn about this new technology firsthand. Um, and so we get a wacky fast forwarded scene. Gotta have a montage. A montage. It's a movie from that area. Gotta have a montage at one point. Well, we've already had one montage, which oh, is, we? well, that's them getting oh, all getting, the historic yeah, figures. Of course, of course. Um, yeah, this is montage number two, but it's a fast forwarded one. At this point in the movie, I was really wondering what these people were picking up and taking back to their own time. Like, because yeah. there's one point where Beethoven ends up turning on, like, a synthesizer, yeah. and, like, I wonder how that influenced his last pieces of music that he wrote before he died kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it, it does make you wonder whether they pocketed anything, you know? Exactly, yeah. yeah. They, uh... Billy the kid seems like the kind of guy who would pocket something and take it back <laughs> he, with him. He definitely does. <laughs> he gets, he gets a modern day cheater ring. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, so we're, we're presuming if they've only got about two hours left that they've started cleaning at about 1245. It, it must have taken them 15, 20 minutes minimum to do that thorough of a cleaning, even with that many people. Well, not even a thorough cleaning. There's at one point where uh, I forget which character does it, but when they're cleaning the kitchen, they just open a drawer and shove all the dirty. Well, dishes that's true. In that's closet. true. Yeah, <laughs> but but there's there's um, Windex is being pulled out. Uh, uh, the vacuum is being pulled out. Like there there oh, is makes some me wonder stuff what going. their chores are. Yeah. To begin with, like they really got to clean that sucker. But yeah. so I, I would, I would presume that it is now quarter after one. So we've now got an hour and a half until showtime. Let's go to the mall. <laughs> so, so we all go to the mall, and meanwhile, uh, and so they, they all go to the mall. They abandon everybody in the food court. To but watch each other. To watch each other, yes. This time they're all babysitting each other because they have to go find out what happened to Napoleon. So they go ask Deacon and he says he ditched Napoleon because he was a dick. And he says dick, G-rated movie. And where would you go if you were Napoleon in modern day San Dimas, California? Of course, 
Waterloo. Waterloo. Yeah. So he's he he's on the water slides at Waterloo. Meanwhile, back at the mall, Billy the Kid and Socrates are hitting on girls until Siggy <laughs> Definitely high school girls too. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then and then Siggy comes up with his very phallic corn dog and uh, they call Siggy a geek. <laughs> you know. Um, good old poor Sigmund So Crates immediately picks up on, gotta love him, yeah. immediately geek. calls him a geek afterwards. Yeah. Genghis Khan finds a sporting goods store, and he finds an aluminum baseball bat, uh, which he likes more than his sturdy wooden club. Audibly laughed at the part where he swung the baseball bat and compared it with his club. Yeah. It was great. And so, now this is why I wanted to bring up the famously deaf part of Beethoven. Beethoven finds the electric keyboards, and the guy that works at the store turns on the keyboards to show him what it does, and he reacts. Mm -hmm. He's looking underneath the keyboard to find where the sound is coming from. He can't figure out anything. So they did such a brilliant job of making sure that we knew that he couldn't hear. Everybody else that is listening to that piano concerto, they, they all react to the fact that something is happening outside and he doesn't, he doesn't move a muscle, but now all of a sudden he can hear this keyboard, mm. which is something that I do not understand at all. Maybe so he's just feeling the vibrations. Well, that's reportedly how he wrote his last, like, Fur Elise, for example, didn't come out until after he died. That's reportedly how he wrote that music. But at the same time, like, the manager of that store or whatever is just having, like, a perfectly normal tone conversation with him. And the reason they're bantering back and forth is because he doesn't speak English. Yeah. 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 So I, it's just, it's, it's one of those unfortunate inconsistencies because like I laughed a lot in this movie, right? I, 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 I remember this movie fondly and I, it's still so much of it got me. We get Lincoln gets his picture taken, uh, and he's asked to return the Lincoln outfit and cue pandemonium in the mall. We've got another eighties montage. We've got Genghis Khan tearing apart a sporting goods store. We've mm-hmm. got Joan of Arc not, uh, nudging aside the woman that's doing the dancer size, the, the dancer size in the Nautilus exhibit, you know. And so we've got all this pandemonium happening in the mall. Ice rink. I thought our city was the only mall, mall that had a, rink, yeah. that had an ice rink in it. But yeah, we've got Socrates and Billy the Kid on the ice and all this sort of thing. Pandemonium. Everything's going crazy. Everybody gets arrested. Everybody. Everybody. And so the cops are trying to figure things out. I, I love as they're going through showing all the, how the, all the different people are handling being arrested. I love that Freud is analy- psychoanalyzing <laughs> one of the cops and everything like that. Or yeah. Lincoln spelling out his name to Ted's dad and Ted's dad going, I know how to spell Lincoln, <laughs> you know? And, and so this is now where, our time travel logic, which we've already established, is very flawed. Very bogus. This is where... <laughs> very bogus. This is where it becomes brain-meltingly... <laughs> yeah, I had a real problem with this. So, oh, yeah. so, okay. So, after our presentation, we're going to go ahead in time... Or, go back in time to the time that your dad had his keys, and then we're going to ha- hide them... Where should we hide them? Behind this sign. And then it, it was me that stole my dad's keys. <laughs> and yeah, they have to go back and remember a tape recorder with a 
uh, <laughs> a timer on it. This is the one, though, that really doesn't make sense to me, is the note that they type to themselves. Yeah. Mm. They, they're, you know, crawling around. They find on a typewriter uh, a note that says, hey, good luck on your journey or whatever. And it's signed Bill and Ted, P.S. Doc. Yeah. yeah. So was there a timeline where they ended up getting caught by the guy walking by? How did they type duck on this? Like, well, see, okay. <laughs> so even with the, the keys, I don't know if I missed something, but the keys are behind the sign. Yeah. But never before or after do I remember them taking the keys. Presumably after the presentation and everything, they would have gone back and left the keys. Yeah, yeah. But but there's a scene, and I thought it was really specific, in the jail later on where Ted leaves the keys, like, on a... Yeah, like, on the jail on the, cell. On the, yeah, on the yeah. cellar cell. And I thought that was going to end up being, like, a huge thing where they like break time apart and have yeah. to like go no no because they, yeah no after the presentation they go back to before ted's dad is looking for the keys because like the third scene of the movie is when ted goes home to grab something and dad is looking for the keys yeah and then and then later on when deputy van hey this is deputy van halen down at the station and we found your keys right so they're going back to a period of time before when Ted's dad did have the keys, which is why he's missing the keys in the first place. In the first place. And this whole time they've actually been hidden behind the scenes because future Ted... But they never show when the keys get behind the sign? No. 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 Yeah, that's that's a problem. But but they're just magically there because they're remembering that that's where they're going to hide them is behind the sign. I felt like there there needed to be a scene later on where they go hide the keys behind the sign and type up that letter. I think this is bad. (laughs) Watch Bogus Journey. The the climax of that movie is not only them doing it, but the antagonist of the film also doing it. And it's just, it's bonkers to try to keep track of. That's true. Absolutely. Yeah, the yeah, and they have the tape recorder with the uh, with the with the timer on it. The note that they type to themselves. It's just the note makes no sense. And then the garbage can. Remember a garbage can. Garbage can. And then one just and one just magically appears that says "Wild Stallions rules" on it. But didn't it have a fraying wire or something like that, which means they knew how to cut into the rope? Maybe. I, I don't know. Like, this is just, yeah, this is where the time travel logic just, it starts melting your brain. And all these things are remembered by two guys who couldn't remember to wind a watch. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you know, that in itself is a flaw right there. So, we, uh, the teacher is about to send everybody home because it looks like Bill and Ted are no-shows. But we get the last report of the afternoon. The lights go out in the auditorium. And I, I'm impressed with how important to the school these history reports seem to be. Yeah. Like, that they would fill the entire school auditorium to do these reports. Like, I also just, want to say, like, you and I have both done, like, stage performances. Exactly. With, with as people of the theater. Like, 
when did they well like at what point did they have the time to send in these lighting cues to, like, <laughs> yeah do they have their own tech crew that came back with them well to... exactly remember after we're done our presentation we got to go back in time hire some guys that can run the lighting board so we we end up with our other montage though uh, our last montage of the movie yeah and for some reason bill and ted have suddenly become super smart because they know all the facts. They know them off by heart. They're pronouncing everybody's names correctly. They did do a montage of studying at the beginning. Well, not even a montage. They had a book open at one point. Yeah, but the <laughs> whole time when they were actually meeting these characters for real, they still weren't getting their names right or anything like that. Yeah. Maybe being crammed into such a small space with all these people, they learned by osmosis somehow. I. They're good on their feet. They're good. <laughs> Socratic <laughs> method. So, <laughs> um, so now it comes to the my favorite line of the movie. This line absolutely killed me. The the like I guess I have learned more in my adult life in the last since my last viewing of this movie. Ted gets therapy, and then Freud asks if he wants to have therapy, and Bill said, or if Bill wants to have therapy, and Bill says, "Nah." I've just got a minor Oedipal complex. And I had never understood this line before. I didn't understand the story of Oedipus Rex or anything like that. Like, it's just something where it's like the fact that... And, and again, it's the writing. It's the fact that Bill manages to say something that is so intelligent, even though he's this this idiot. But my God, this line just absolutely destroyed me. I had to pause the movie to finish laughing because I had never gotten this line before. But every time he says Missy, I mean mom, and all the jokes about Missy, they all they all lead up to this one joke that just it it slayed. It got me. It slayed. It, it was it the buildup was worth it. It just absolutely floored me. And somehow, like, not only are they experts on the history and they have all the light show and everything is working out perfectly, spontaneously, everything is working out perfectly. They, they also have props. They have sword fighting equipment for Joan of Arc. They mm -hmm. have, you know, a couch that they can just pull out. Like, <laughs> is the drama department just storing everything backstage? They have and a map just... of France on a corkboard <laughs> for Napoleon and a bunch of wrist pieces or whatever for <laughs> exactly. him to smack off the table. So, like, I mean, it's an absolutely amazing uh, presentation that they've got. But Incredible. But there's absolutely no way that it just happens like that. Like, it had to be worthy of A+, though. Comedy, movie, suspension of disbelief. That's that's all that we can do. We we close the show with uh, Abe Lincoln ripping off his own speech of four score and and seven minutes ago. Seven minutes ago, uh, and but of course he ends it with "Be excellent to each other yeah. and party on, dudes." The auditorium goes absolutely fucking ape shit. Like, even more ape shit than the guy that said, Sam, Sam Demon's High School, High School Football, Football Rules! rules. <laughs> <laughs> Colin, Colin is just over here shaking his head because, like, Chris and I have this movie memorized and he's seen it for the first time here. Um, but, like, that's what I said. This movie meant so much to me that I still remember so many of the lines. So they, they get back into their uh, phone booth, presumably, to take everybody home and then go to the future or to the past to get 
keys and trash cans and everything like that. And of course, the the auditorium, everyone has a lighter. I yeah. love that 1989. Every single person, yeah, every single had person a has a lighter. But but to top it all off, I mean, nowadays it's cell phones being held up. I'm, I'm I appreciate seeing lighters, but everybody has a lighter. Um, everybody. <laughs> and uh, we're back to the beginning, basically. We're we're back in the garage. They're jamming. They're trying to film their video. But Rufus reappears. And he reappears with the princesses. Breaks time even further. Breaks time (laughs) even further. And so with what I was saying about the girls being disappointingly poor characters, this is where Rufus introduced us to something called the mall. And things called credit cards. You know, because women be shopping. You know, like it's 1989... Women be shopping. That's all it is. Like, it's just, I, I, I hate that the, like, Joan of Arc, she's, she's our, I guess she's our hero female character, but even her, she's underused. She's one of the first people that is picked up in the montage, so you don't yeah. even get a story of her beforehand. All we but, know is she starts an aerobics program in France to help train the military. Exactly. <laughs> so we're, <laughs> so we're, it's just, the women, it just, uh, I feel bad for women in the 1980s because the women roles were garbage. Rufus wants autographs, and I love that even in the future, they still have CDs in this timeline of the future, even if they have like an animated cover, but it is still clearly a CD. Compact discs, baby. They're the future, let me tell you. Uh, after uh, MP3s are going to go away again and it's going to come back to compact discs. No more streaming. No, if we, it's like people that cl- collect classic vinyl. They're all going to want, we're going to bring back CDs as a retro thing. And he tells them that the girls might as well sign too because they are in the band after all. And Rufus gives them guitars. He shows off his guitar playing skills. And then the rest of the Wild Stallions starts playing and they're terrible. Just awful. But just the worst. With a... but, yeah. <laughs> I love I love this scene because it because it provides resolution as it should to like the very first scene of the movie where they're debating the does the do we need the triumphant video or yeah. do we need Eddie Van Halen? And they finally just rest on the we need to, circle. They, comes they need, to we need to learn. We need they, they to learn how to play. Loop. <laughs> <laughs> they broke the logic loop. <laughs> finally, it took them what? How long is this movie? An hour and forty? Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, and we've got uh, Rufus addressing the the camera one last time and say they do get better. He assures the audience, and there we go. Credits, and that is Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Now, Colin and Chris, okay, doing this one backwards today, and you'll see why. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has an 80% on the tomato meter, so that's the, that's the critic score, is 80%. Uh, an audience score, 376,165 reviews, giving it a 75%. On IMDb, the critics, uh, the meta score, have given it a 50 out of 100. And the audience rating... You want to guess? 100 out of 100. Nope. Audience rating. Come on, guess. Let me ask you something. What number am I thinking of? 
69. IMDb scores at 6.9 out of 10. 69% for Bill and Ted's. I hope that number never changes. No one else send a review on on IMDb unless you're going to choose uh, to give it (laughs) 6.9. Because that is amazing that Bill and Ted's has scored 69% on IMDb. Awesome. That's 108,000 reviews for that one. Where uh, where does this fall for you guys? Does it still hold up? Where what what do you think? Uh, do you agree with those uh, those particular scores? I mean, for me, it's tough because I don't know. Just watching this movie, all I could think about is like this seems like the Jane Silent Bob movie that never was because I love Jane <laughs> Silent Bob and that and I can clearly see the influence that both had had on Kevin Smith, but it's hard for me to because I knew them first. To be like, to then look at this movie. So, so, so you see them as ripoffs of yeah, Sil- Jay and yeah, Silent like, Bob instead it, of the other way around. It's hard for me to forget to remember that Bill and Ted came first, so they're not ripping yeah. off Jane Silent Bob. But <laughs> well, see, and and uh, it's uh, it's almost like Jane Silent Bob are the Bill and Ted that are implied. Yeah. Right, because Jane Silent Bob, they openly smoke weed, and, Obvious they, and they, stoners, yeah, yeah, they 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 openly do drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas it's just and kind of implied drugs. with Bill and Ted, because they're they're more of a surfer yeah. dude kind of thing. Like I, yeah. I think I've just seen. I've for me, it's an interesting movie to watch because I've seen so many movies that, that I love. Even Dude, Where's My Car? Like movies that I love that clearly are ripping off this movie. So I mean that because of that I have to give it like and I still think it's a good it's a great comedy. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it still holds up really well for Except for, for Fag. Except for that except for, for being like, except for the, for being yeah, except for the random F bomb out of the Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ex- except for our hating on our LGBTQ community. That that there's that one moment, but yeah. I think everything I else like is it. solid. I also like it because it's such a simple concept yes sometimes i watch movies today and i'm just like why are they trying so hard to create this like super like drawn out complicated story yeah, a like, million plot twists this like just convoluted tale yeah sure the time travel is a bit messed up but it doesn't really take away from how funny the movie is yeah at the end of the day oh yeah so. I, I still laughed hard and the fact that i even though i've seen it like 30 times i've still I still managed to find a new joke. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah. I don't know. And Chris, what about you? Still hold up? 10 out of 10. I love that movie. 10 uh, out of 10. Ooh. It's great. I, I, It's fantastic. Okay. It's one of those. Yeah, see, for for me, I... If I'm honest, yeah, I probably I probably hover somewhere in the 85, 90, 90 you know, like I yeah, I, I am I'd give it an eighty. I, I am up on yeah. If I am, we're being real, I guess I'd be in the eighty range <laughs> yeah. as well. I I don't know. Yeah, I, like I I'm in the top fifth of this movie for my where I would rate it. But you know, there's a part of me though that thinks I gotta give it that sixty nine. <laughs> I gotta give it. <laughs> well, uh, I give it sixty nine. Out of 69, which is 100. There we go. <laughs> there we go. There we go. That's Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And that is our show for this week. A big thank you to uh, our special guest for this week, Chris. I hope you had a good time with us today. I learned a lot. So. Yeah. One <laughs> last I'm, I'm fact still, I'm still you. shocked that oh. the Iron Maiden isn't real. Right? Yeah. Well, Chris, Chris one, has... one other fact for you. Uh, Waterloo Water Park funny name to choose because waterloo was napoleon's greatest defeat 
the Battle of Waterloo in 1815. Well, no, you could you could even argue that in this movie, he found so much fun at that uh, at that water park to just be taken away. It was his greatest defeat right there. Damn. No, no, no I'm okay. Anyway, <laughs> his yeah. greatest defeat was the bowling, wasn't it? That's uh, I guess so. Yeah, he did get like physically thrown out with that one. Well, that's our uh, that's our show for this week. If you like that show, one thing you can do to really help us out on the business end is to go to Apple or Spotify or whatever app you listen to your podcasts on, and just please give us five stars. Doesn't really matter what you say. You can say that uh, you can tell us sixty nine, dude. That's all. I, that's all, that's all you have to put in there. But it's those five stars that are important and drive us up the chart and. Help us get noticed. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can reach us by email at I used to like this one, all one word, at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook on the I used to like this one Facebook group. Find us on Instagram at I used to like this one, all one word, and at I used to like this one with the numbers replacing the words on Twitter. Social media will be the place you can look to find what movies we're watching so you can watch them ahead of time. <laughs> you laugh, but there's a character limit on Twitter. <laughs> I Used to Like This One is created by, hosted by, and produced by Sean Wells and Colin Stewart. Special guest this week, Chris Wells. It is edited by Sean Wells. Music by Lyndon Carter. Look for his band Carter and the Capitals anywhere you listen to music. Thank you for listening, and join us next week when we take a look at another movie on I Used to Like This One. And party on, dudes.